The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. All right. You can jump in. Glad you guys are here. I feel like we should just circle the chairs up and make this like a, a smaller, not less of a less of a talk, more of an interactive interactive thing here. But um, glad you're here. Maybe show of hands, who is a senior in the room? Theoretically, a senior. <laughs> um, and then what about junior or, okay, so upperclassmen mostly. Any first, second year? Okay, awesome. Good, this will be helpful. I think you guys are getting a head start, uh, making a plan. That's good. So, um, well, the, the topic is life beyond college. We're going to hit a few different things here, really three different different areas. Um, but I think it's important the way that you view graduation. Um, actually, before we get into that, I'll introduce the, the family here. I got a slide with um, all our kids. They were right outside the door just a second ago waving. Uh, I'm not going to let them come in here. That would be very distracting. Uh, but we've got Evelyn here. She's 10. William's 8. Uh, Annie is five, and Lottie is three, and that's Mandy, my wife. So we live here in Indianapolis, and um, we've been here for 10 years now, so this is definitely home. Uh, we love being in Indy. Uh, we've been working with Campus Outreach ever since we graduated. So we graduated uh, down in Arkansas, at Arkansas State University, uh, before the Indiana region existed, and uh, we helped come up to launch, um, be help helping in launching the Indiana region so years ago. Um, so that's a little bit about us. But uh, the last 10 years, I've been in the role of mobilization. So that idea of how do you transition well from the college to the world. Um, and the, the reason why we created the role of mobilization is as the ministry in Indiana began to grow, uh, we began to make observations. Where, what are people doing now? You know? We're seeing a lot of fruitfulness on the campus, people coming to Christ, making big decisions, walking with God. But then when they leave, what's happening? <laughs> some are doing well and some are doing really poorly. Uh, so how can we further kingdom impact, glorifying God, filling the nations with laborers, filling the state of Indiana, the U.S. with laborers uh, for his glory, that he would be made known? Uh, can we better prepare them for that transition that's coming? It's interesting that transition from college to the working world is it's marked as one of life's major transitions. Uh, and you may not think about that. Maybe, you're, maybe if you're getting ready to graduate, you feel it a little bit. <laughs> like, wow, things are about to change. Um, but it is, it is a major transition. And what we found is that if you can have a good plan for the first two years out of college, it's really going to set the trajectory for the rest of your life. But if you kind of go out of college and fumble and stumble for a couple of years, it might take three or four years to recover from that. <laughs> and uh, some of the decisions that can be made in that, in that small window. Um, so that's why I get excited about talking to you guys. Uh, we pray every year as we set foot on the campus that God would raise up a new generation of leaders, uh, that he would draw the lost to himself and then send them out. And in a lot of ways, you guys are answers to those prayers of, of this campus staff that were diligently sharing the gospel on your campuses. And, um, and really, the vision of campus outreach isn't building laborers on the campus for the campus. Uh, although it can get translated into that many times when we forget, wait, actually, it's, it's about the world. Uh, it's about sending out laborers and leaders into all avenues of society uh, to make an impact. And so 
Um, not that this seminar is going to cure that for everybody, but it, I think it will help as you're making plans and maybe correcting some false uh, assumptions you've had, as well as giving you some categories to think about and make a plan in light of. So that's where we're going. Um, so I've got the question up here, how do you view graduation? You know, when you, when you think about graduating, is it, is it just simply the end of a season of your life, end of college, and now it's time to move on to something else? I think a lot of times if we're not careful, we can, it's just the next phase. I just, I'm graduating, I have to go get a job now. It's what's next, it's what's expected. The problem with that view is that there's no vision in that view. <laughs> um, really what God has done in your life in the college setting is a miracle. Many have become a Christian, all have been discipled. Um, let me just see a show of hands. How many of you have become Christians since, your, since time in university or since in college? So roughly half, okay? And then maybe how many of you have been discipled and grown significantly in college in your walk with God? So everybody. Um, and I think that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing that God has done. But if you're just viewing graduation as it's the next step, I just I have to go get a job now. Uh, it's such a small view. And it's boring. That sounds boring, <laughs> right? Uh, what we should be viewing it as is I'm being sent. I'm launching out. I've been equipped. Uh, you're not fully equipped. You've been a little equipped. Um, you started the journey, but I'm being launched out from the campus. Uh, I'm being sent. I'm a laborer being sent into the harvest. So when Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, you're stepping into that. You've been in it on the college campus, but now you're stepping into it in a new arena. And so I think just switching that mindset that I'm not just graduating and now I just got to go find a job. But God, would you leverage my life for your kingdom? Would you use my life to expand, uh, to, to be an agent uh, in you expanding your kingdom? God grows his kingdom, but he uses people. So we want to be a part of that. So to cast a vision for that. Um, so three main things that I want to look at today. Um, the first being making decisions. So the idea of how do I make decisions? There's, there's a lot of big questions going through your mind, especially as you're approaching graduation. Um, how do I do that well? And specifically, we'll talk about the will of God. What does that phrase even mean, the will of God? And then secondly, we're going to talk about misconceptions. And we're going to key in on one misconception there that uh, is prevalent in the Christian uh, culture and how it can also be devastating when you move into a job uh, if, we, if we hold to that misconception. And the last one there is developing a plan. What areas do I really need to be thinking about in light of graduation that if I, if I come up with a, uh, a plan in those areas that will really help me, set me up for success uh, when, I, when I step off the campus? So that's where we're going. So the first one there, making decisions. Um, let me know if these questions resonate with you. Uh, maybe if you're in your first couple years, it's, what should I study? What, what major um, should I pursue? If you're a senior, hopefully you've decided that. <laughs> or you're probably not a senior, right? Um, that's a big question, though, going into college. Uh, maybe it's a question about your summer. How should I spend my summer? We just heard about summer projects last night, opportunities that are out there. Um, should I consider one of those? Should I get an internship? I was just talking to somebody here, front row, that um, needs an internship. Where are you going to do that? That's a big decision, right? Um, if you're getting ready to graduate, where should I work? What job should I take? Um, 
what city should I move to? Should I, should I be considering out of the country? Should I be in the country? Um, should I pursue what I've studied? Or should I become a missionary? Uh, should I go on staff with campus outreach? You know, all these questions that we might be juggling. And these are the questions I was asking. Um, maybe if you're in a relationship, should I get married? Um, and then those questions just continue the rest of your life. Big questions, right? Uh, should I buy a house? Should I rent? Um, should I take a job in a different city? Should I move? And personally, uh, my wife and I are, are wrestling through these, and we've had some defining moments beyond the uh, beyond that first transition. Uh, we got married that summer that we graduated, and that first decision was to go on staff with Campus Outreach, and we moved to Evansville, Indiana, from Arkansas. And then after being in Evansville for six years, we started to kind of look around. God, what do you have for us next? What might be our next phase of life? And that's when the mobilization piece began to be developed in, in Indiana. And uh, it meant a move from Evansville, which is southern, to Indianapolis, which is a big city to us. Like, that's a big deal. We're moving our family. Um, and so we had a lot of thoughts. And how do you make that decision? Um, and now we've been there 10 years. And now we're, we're wrestling with the decision uh, to, to serve God overseas. And so we're looking at uh, leading one of the lead teams. So if you've heard about CO Lead, there's a video shown one of the first nights. Um, we're, our family is actually going to be leading a CO lead team to London uh, for two and a half years. And so the, the big decisions don't stop. <laughs> this isn't the only big decision launching from the campus. Uh, but the framework is the same, using God's word as a filter and understanding what is God's will. And so through all those transitions, a book that's been really helpful for us, and um, I would recommend, if you haven't read it, it's called Just Do Something by Kevin DeYoung. Has anybody heard of that book? So lots have heard of it. It's in the bookstore. It's ten dollars, um, and it's gosh, probably maybe a hundred pages. It's, it's short. You could probably read it if you really sat down. You could probably read it in about five or six hours, um, and it's just spot on to making decisions. Uh, how do I make decisions? Um, and I'm stealing a lot of his content. So things that you hear are not original to me, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to use specifically for one of the chapters about the will of God uh, here as we as we get going. Um, so I would highly recommend that book as a, as a tool for making decisions, and I've benefited from it personally. So let's, let's look at this idea of how do I make decisions. Um, well, we have this phrase, the will of God, and that can be one of the most misunderstood or confusing phrases in the Christian language because really there's three different things that you could be referring to when you talk about God's will. Um, and uh, in, in Kevin Young's book, he breaks it down into three, uh, God's will of decree, his will of desire, and his will of direction. Uh, we're going we're gonna to unpack those as we go. Um, but the first two, the will of decree and will of desire, they're found in God's word. Those are very clear. He tells us what those are. But the will of direction isn't. Uh, isn't as explicit there uh, is what we would prefer it to be uh, when we're asking questions. So let's look at some of these. So with God's will of um, decree, these are the things that God has ordained. These are the things that he has said are going to happen, and they will come to pass. So he's decreed it, therefore it will happen. So scripture talks about God's will of decree. Um, where do we see this? So a couple verses I think that are helpful uh, here are Ephesians 1. You can, I think, yep, there it is. You guys can read along with me. Ephesians 1 says, uh, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's talking about God's will. 
and is talking about how he works everything according to his will. Nothing is outside of his will. Like God is in control. Um, and that's a comforting thought as you're making a decision. What's another place? In Matthew uh, 10, 29 through 30, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. So what's Jesus saying here? That uh, you've got sparrows that are very cheap, very somewhat insignificant. You think about the hair of your head falling to the ground, that's kind of insignificant, you know? It's like things you don't really consider much about. But what does it say that God, what does it say about God here? It says, neither will fall to the ground apart from God's will. Think about that. That's amazing that God is that involved in all that happens. There's not a hair that falls to the ground or a sparrow that dies that God doesn't know about. That's not a part of his plan. Um, another verse there is in Acts chapter 4, 27 to 28. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So what's that saying? That these are the characters involved in the crucifixion of Christ, right? So you have Herod, you have Pontius Pilate, um, you have the Gentiles, and then you have the people of Israel. They're all present. And what we would typically think is, yeah, they, they killed Jesus, and they did. Scripture talks about that. They murdered him. But then what does it also say at the same time? It says to do whatever your hand, God's hand, whatever your plan had predestined to take place. God decreed it. <laughs> this is his will of decree. Therefore, it will come to pass. So um, it gives us a category that uh, God works all things for good, including the death of his own son, which gives us the answer to evil in the world. I mean, it gives us, um, it gives us an understanding of evil in the world, and how that can exist alongside a good and loving God. Was the death of his son good? No. But did he use that evil for good? Absolutely. For the best good for us, right? To save us from our sin. Um, two more verses on this will of decree where we see it in Scripture. Uh, we see it in Psalm 139, 16. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What is that saying? That can be kind of, I need to read that two or three times, right? Uh, but our lives are unfolding according to God's plan. He knew the days before they even came to be. Uh, and then lastly, this is the last one we'll look at here under decree. Isaiah 46. I want you to see it in Scripture because I think that's really how we begin to understand this idea of God's will. So this is where Scripture talks about God's will of decree. Uh, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God knows all things. He oversees all things. His will of decree is absolute. It's going to happen. So when you're asking God, what's your will for my life? Well, you can't change his will of decree. That's not what you're asking. <laughs> um, in fact, you can trust it. 
because he actually decreed that his own son would die for, for you, for your sin. Um, he is good, and his will of decree is working for your good. Um, it doesn't mean that everything that God wills for our life is pleasant at all times. It doesn't mean that it's all peaches and cream. Uh, it means that there are challenges that come with that, uh, but it, it is for our good. That's the promise we have. So what's the second kind of God's will that we see in Scripture? Uh, it's, the, it's God's will of desire. Um, this is how God desires that we should live, that we should act. This is what brings him glory. This is how we can live our lives and leverage our lives for his glory. Uh, this refers to what God has commanded in Scripture. This is probably, we're very familiar with this in Scripture, right? Um, here's a couple of verses. The first one's up there, John 2. 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So it even talks about doing the will of God there uh, in that last sentence. Whoever does the will of God. So here we have the Apostle John, who's writing this. Um, saying that to do God's will is the opposite of worldly living. So how do I live out God's will? Well, I obey his commands. That is doing God's will. Another one here is Hebrews uh, 13. And 20 through 21, it says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the will of God is doing what is pleasing in his sight. Um, that is his will of desire, that we do what is pleasing to him. Um, you can see it again. I won't, I won't read through all of these, but Matthew 7, 21. Uh, this was a passage that was shared in depth the other night. Uh, but that last phrase there, uh, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Um, so what pleases him is obedience to his commands. And then I think this one's interesting. Deuteronomy 29, 29. You get to see God's will of decree, what he's ordained, and his will of desire side by side in the same verse. So it says the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. Those things that uh, only he knows. Those things that he will decree that will happen. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. So we see side by side his will of decree, his will of desire. Um, so you can imagine why it's confusing when people talk about the will of God. What are you talking about exactly? Well, Scripture tells us how we should live. That's his will. Uh, it also talks about his will being done, that he's going to accomplish his purposes. So you can understand how there's a little confusion there. And then there's the last kind, which is really what we're asking when we're talking about the big questions of what's next, uh, is God's will of direction. And uh, this is the specific plan for your life. And unfortunately, it doesn't say that, uh, you know, John should take this job in this city when you graduate. You know, <laughs> that's what we're asking, though. We'd love to hear that. Wouldn't that be great if you could turn to a certain page and, oh, there's my name, here it is. Here's what I'm supposed to do. And I can step out and I'll just do these things. 
Um, so does God have a specific plan for your life? He does. But he doesn't expect you to know it before you make a decision. <laughs> he doesn't expect you to have it all figured out. And um, the beauty of really trusting that God is sovereign, that he decrees things, and that, that he's good, he decrees good things, that's important, right? Uh, is that you can step out on faith. That you're not limited to one path, that this is God's plan. If somehow I step off of that, or somehow I choose the wrong career path, or make the wrong decision, I'm outside of God's will. That's not true. There's actually a lot of freedom that comes with understanding the, what this means, the will of God. Is that, yeah, I'm, I'm to pursue holiness. That's his will of desire, that I pursue holiness. I'm to um, surround myself with other believers and bounce ideas off of them. Like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this when I graduate. What do you think? How does that fit? He gives us community around us to help us make decisions. He gives us principles in his word, right, uh, that can help make decisions, but he doesn't tell us exactly what to do. Uh, so why is that? Why does he not just tell us what to do? Well, I think largely it has to do with walking by faith. Think about how much you have to lean into him, <laughs> to trust him, to cry out to him, to pray to him, to seek him uh, when you don't know the answer. Whereas if it was just right now, you just kind of, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that. Um, but there's a lot of freedom in what you're going to do. Does he know what you're going to do? Yeah, he does. Um, but it doesn't mean that you don't have the choice to make. So there, there are many options uh, that could be good options uh, when you graduate. Um, so I think the focus is, we know his will is that I pursue holiness right now. So let me focus on that. Uh, let me lean into his sovereignty, his, his providence, his care for my life, and um, bring people into the decision-making process, and then step out. Take a risk. We're, we're freed up to take risks for his name because we believe in a God who is in control. Um, and uh, to launch out from the campus, to be sent from the campus into the world. So that's point one. The other ones will move a little quicker here. Um, what are some of these misconceptions? Uh, I really want to focus on one that has to do, especially with, I think it's very relevant if you're a student, and I think it's very relevant if you're getting ready to transition. And it's this idea of dividing life into what is sacred and what is secular. And I don't know if you've heard those two terms before or heard that division uh, that we like to make in our minds, <laughs> in our Christian culture, that some things are sacred or spiritual activities, pleasing to God. And then there's other things that are secular that are just, you just do them because it's life. Um, but what's interesting is Bible, the Bible doesn't really ever bring us into those two, those two things. And so we pit one against the other. Uh, we say some things are pleasing to God and some things are not. Some things are my spiritual activities in life and some things are not. What's interesting is if you look at 1 Corinthians 10.31, it's very clear. Uh, it says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So there's not a, um, a certain category of life that is glorifying to him and some that are not. So let's, let me get some feedback from you guys. What are some areas of life that you consider, uh, that are easy to consider, non-spiritual or, or um, secular? Think about just your daily life. What are some of those things? Laundry. Laundry. There we go. Right? Is there really anything 
spiritual and doing laundry, right? The necessary evil I've got to endure. Um, what else? That's a, that's a great example. Like having fun with friends? Having fun with friends. Yeah, just hanging out, right? So is that a waste of time? I guess anything could, you could do it to not doing it to the glory of God. But just being with friends, that's not, yeah, it's a good one. What else? Playing basketball, yeah. Um, what about homework? That's definitely an evil thing right there, right? <laughs> Writing research papers. Uh, no, it's not. And so, but typically what we'll do is, man, let me sit down, grind out this paper so I can go do what really matters to God, which is my discipleship group. Or, you know, let me rush through and get the groceries I need and finish the laundry so that I can go to the dorms or the fraternity sorority and share my faith. Because that's really what God cares about, right? Um, so you see how we do that. We, can, we, we quickly compartmentalize our lives into those two things. Um, and we need to realize that that's really, that's a misconception. Uh, but how can I do laundry to the glory of God? Can God really be, be as pleased with me sitting in the library for hours on end studying for this final as he is when I'm engaging someone with the gospel? Now, hear what you need to hear there, right? Because we're tempted one way or the other. We're tempted probably either towards holding ourselves away and not interacting with people, <laughs> or we're tempted to dismiss it and, and be with people. So hear what you need to hear there. There is, there is a balance, but to do it to the glory of God, uh, and both could be glorifying to him. So what are, I think we've, I've listed a couple of those, but what are some of those spiritual activities that you would be quick to say, yeah, that's, that's it? So I mentioned like sharing your faith, Maybe a discipleship group. Are there any others that, you know, that come to mind? Praying. Praying. Yeah? Getting in word. Yeah. Getting in, getting in the Word. Reading the Bible. Attending church. Going to church on Sunday, right? Um, there's not a exhaustive list there, but it gets the wheels turning as you're thinking about that. So I think the reason why that's a big deal, and as you're a student addressing those misconceptions, is that if you, if you have those categories as a student, you're going to have those categories when you graduate. And work quickly goes into that secular category. It can. Where, uh, you know, that's, I've got, I have to endure the 40 hours a week at this job so I can do what really matters in my time off, serving the community, uh, going to church, reading my Bible. And you're going to get burned out real quick <laughs> at your first job if you had that view. But if you're viewing your work through a biblical lens, and this is glorifying to God. He's created me a certain way with certain gifts that I can utilize to better my neighbor, uh, those around me, to love them to do it in a way that's glorifying to him, that honors him, and all of a sudden I'm worshiping God from 9 to 5 in my job, not just in my quiet time in the morning, church on the weekends, and my other things that I volunteer for, right? Um, and so I, I think in order to leverage and have that I'm being sent mentality, you have to have a proper view of your work, a theology of work. Um, we've heard a lot about Genesis this week. And so I think that should be a reminder to go back and read Genesis. <laughs> Every talk has gone back there. Um, but it, it's, it's so shaping for the Christian worldview. So you see God as creator there. You see um, the problem of sin. 
You see uh, the first promises of a redeemer to come. There's so much more in in Genesis, but even a theology of work comes out of the book of Genesis, first three chapters. Uh, So Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created. What's he doing? He's working. (laughs) God is a worker. Uh, At the beginning of Genesis 2, it says, when God had finished all his work, it actually uses the word, his work, um, he rested. So God is a worker. We see that. Then in Genesis 2, we see that we're created in the image of God. So part of what it means to be in his image is to be a worker. That's not all it is, but that's a piece of it. That, that part of being human is to work. That's what it means. It's actually good. All that he created was very good. Um, Genesis 2, when he has, uh, takes Adam, it says he put him in the garden. What did he do? He says that he put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. Man is created, and he's given a job. <laughs> Day one. It's, it's part of why he was created. It's part of what it means to be human, is to work. Um, now, how does that go against how we like to view work, or how maybe we've been brought up to view work? It's a necessary evil. Yeah, there you go. It's a necessary evil that I have to endure so I can have the weekend. Or so that I can retire early. So that I can do what I really want to do in my spare time, right? Um, but what's interesting is it's part of God's original plan. It's part of the original creation is to be a worker. So we, what we like to say is that, man, work is actually part of, part of the fall. Isn't that part of sin? Sin entering the world? Now i got to work? No, it's not. Uh, actually, in Genesis 3, when sin enters the picture, um, there are some things that God curses, but it's not work. He curses the ground, which makes work harder. Uh, It's now producing thorns and thistles, and there's people. We're we're sinful people, so you're interacting every day with people that are sinners, um, like yourself, like myself. Uh, So work is hard, but it's never cursed, and um, it's still part of God's plan for our life. I think that's really helpful. That was helpful for me. Uh, I remember when I was a senior, I... Uh, my junior summer, I went on a CCP, a cross-cultural experience. So I was in Brazil for um, two months doing college ministry, sharing the gospel. I loved everything about it. I loved the food. I loved the city. I loved the people. And so I got my wheels turning, coming back to college. like, man, I think I might want to do something in ministry. Um, I was a marketing major in the business department. And so I was also weighing that. Should I pursue something in marketing? Um, I liked my major. I liked what I did. Um, and so what I didn't have though was a good theology of work and so as I was weighing my options so it was kind of overseas missions it was um, marketplace and then it was college ministry in the states I began to view it improperly and say you know I don't want to waste my life in some business building when I could be out sharing the gospel Um, what God was doing in my heart was he was leading me towards doing ministry, but the way I was falsely interpreting it is that one was worthless and one was valuable. I was doing the sacred-secular divide, and I wish someone would have walked me through that uh, to, to be able to, to reason through that a little bit better. Um, and so I think you can step out in faith into either one, full-time ministry or full-time marketplace, if you just want to divide them into those two, and glorify God exactly the same. <laughs> it's not what you do, it's how you do it. Um, now, if God's putting certain desires in your heart, you want to you be obedient to those things and, and to follow and 
uh, as you're getting affirmation from people uh, of what you might be good at. That's always helpful. Um, and then to step out and to make a decision. So I'll end with this verse on the, on the work piece. It says, it helps with this sacred secular mentality, specifically that there's kind of the, the holy jobs and the unholy jobs. Um, so it's 1 Peter 2.9. So this is, this is New Testament. Jesus is resurrected, given us this Holy Spirit. So it says, but you, Christian, are a, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some amazing things and promises there in that passage. Um, the one I want to highlight is this idea of being a royal priesthood. Is he speaking to just the priests? No. Why is that significant? Well, the priests were the ones that had access to God in the temple. Um, they were the ones that could enter his presence. Uh, they were the ones that were to, to be the, the mediary between the people and God. Now that Jesus has come, what, he, what he's saying is, as a Christian, you are a royal priesthood. You have access to God. <laughs> um, you don't need Jesus is your mediator. Um, that passage is saying a lot, but I think what we, one of the things we can pull away from it is that there's no sacred-secular divide. And um, be, going into a full-time ministry is not a more holy calling than going into a marketplace situation. So it's good news. A couple resources um, on this that you might want to check out would be these two. So you've got Tim Keller's Every Good Endeavor. I've read that one. Very helpful. And then I went to a symposium of uh, Dan Doriani's work, uh, that book there, and it was excellent. Um, I haven't read the book, but he did an overview of the book through that, uh, through that talk, and uh, it was amazing. So if you want to go deeper in this idea of what is, how does God view work, how should I view work, check out those books. The, uh, Every Good Endeavor might be in the, the bookstore over there. Um, you know, if this will work, I might show this video here. Yeah. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business, work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we can bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary that moves to the far regions of Africa 
But around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. I like that video. It just emphasizes everything we just talked about. I won't go into any more detail of that. If you'd like to see that again, you can YouTube that uh, Work is Worship. I think it's Right Now Media is the organization that put that out. So lastly, how do we develop a plan? Um, what will it take for you to walk with God for a lifetime? What will it take for you to step foot off the campus uh, to hopefully continue right where you're at, just in an upward uh, path of growth? So three areas that I want to talk about. Um, identity. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, community. And then we're going to talk about mission. I want to start with identity here. Um, so the diagram I want to use here is three concentric circles. So the, the core of that, that first circle, there would be identity. Um, and then we'll go to the second circle, which will be community. And that third one will be mission. So these are three areas that as you think about graduating, you want to have a plan for. So what do I mean by identity? Uh, really, it's your identity in Christ. So and that's the core. That's the foundation. That If you're not rooted in who Christ says you are, who the Bible, you know, who God says you are, your relationship with Christ, you're going to be thrown to and fro by all the, the voices you're going to be hearing when you graduate. Uh, so, so the core is your identity. How are you going to grow and how are you going to remain stable uh, in your identity? So here's a verse, Colossians 2, or sorry, 3, 2 through 4. It says, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The identity of the believer here is, one, you've died. <laughs> you're no longer who you used to be, which means you're hidden in, or with Christ in God. Think about that identity. That's a secure identity right there. I'm with Christ in God. Um, and Christ is my life. It says, in Christ, who is your life? That is my identity. I need to be rooted and, and grounded in that. Second Corinthians 5.17, maybe a familiar verse uh, it talks about, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're what? A new creation. You are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's it. You have a new identity. And then 1 John 3, 1 says, uh, see what kind of love 
the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We don't have the identity of the world. We actually have the identity of the child of God. Um, And these are things you know as a believer, but you never, I feel like you don't get to the bottom of them. You're always growing in them. You're always being established in those and going back to those. So the question is, what voices are you listening to? And when you graduate, there's going to be a lot of voices. We just recently had a uh, senior mobilization conference in Indianapolis. A few faces here were there. And um, we had a panel of three recent graduates, been out for three or four years. And uh, it wasn't expected, but one of the things they said was that in their job, there was such pressure to go and be a part of this in crowd that went out and partied after work every day. What's interesting is you kind of thought that ended in college, right? (laughs) You kind of thought college was the end of the peer pressure to go uh, live your life in a way that you don't want to. Um, But what they found is that actually when they stepped into the the workplace, it became almost harder because they didn't have this tight-knit group of believers around them like they did on the college campus. So whereas, you know, before you're a Christian, all the parties on campus were so appealing, but then you became a Christian, you're surrounded by such a, a network and a community all of a sudden that faded away and it wasn't as, as tempting and it wasn't as hard to say no because you're around this, these people. Then all of a sudden you launch out and you have less of that in your life on a daily basis and it becomes hard. What voices are you going to listen to? Uh, I think another area of this that I've seen uh, graduates make some poor decisions in is the area of relationships. Uh, the world's going to say, man, you have to have somebody in your life to really matter. If no one loves you, you're not really worth love, being loved. Um, and so is your identity rooted in that, or is it really rooted in Christ, that you're with Christ in God, a child of God? Um, what is your plan to grow in that identity? This verse here talks about the voices you listen to. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's the voice. <laughs> That's the voice to listen to. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how do we shape and grow in our identity? It's, it's God's word. The next one is community. What's your plan to have community? Identity kind of spilled over into it there. So you, is a, even that example I shared about stepping off the campus and not having the daily interaction. Um, Well, community is the context that you live out your identity. So identity alone, if you're just rooted and grounded in that identity so well, but yet you're isolated, um, you're not going to make it very long, one. And you're cutting yourself short of what what God is really all about, which is building his his people. And so identity needs to be lived out within that broader context of community. You should live that out among your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, in the Bible, you know, we talk a lot about your personal relationship with God, and I think that's good and helpful. Um, but when we see God addressing his people, it's, it's, it's corporate. <laughs> so as you read your Bible, it's God's building a kingdom, a church, and you're part of that. So although it is you have to individually read and, and, uh, and pray, and, but to do that in a community as well is just as central to what the Bible is teaching. Uh, so here's a couple of verses on community. One here says uh, in John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. 
So how can you fulfill that command when you're isolated <laughs> on your own? How can you love one another um, if you're not in community? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how will people look at your life and say, that's a follower of Christ? You're in a community. The question needs to be asked is, if someone doesn't join a community, a local community, a body of believers, a church, are they really a Christian? It's worth asking. Even though they have this, it seems like they have some personal time with God, but yet, here it says that uh, a marker here of what it means to be a Christian, people will know you're a Christian if you're loving one another. Something to consider. Community. Uh, and then Philippians 2 talks about how we live in that community. It says this, it says, um, Paul's addressing the need for the unity in the body of Christ. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, so I think going into the local church when you graduate, hopefully you're already connected on some level. Um, but I think that can be a stumbling block for graduates is when they, they leave the campus. For good and bad, that community on the campus has, has been their church in some ways. Um, but those that really seek to plug into a church uh, do really well when they graduate. So what's your plan for community when you graduate? How do you do that? How do you find it? How do you get it? Those are questions you need to, you need to answer. Um, there's a verse in, in um, Proverbs Proverbs 18.1, it says, he who seeks, uh, what does it say? It says, um, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Think about that. If you isolate yourself, you're actually selfishness. You're seeking your own desire. And the Bible warns, it says, you're breaking out of sound judgment. You're a fool. <laughs> you're breaking out of all sound judgment. Um, so the need for the church is great. So when you go into a church, go in with the mentality of, how can I love my brothers and sisters here? How can I jump in and, and love and serve? The flip of that is stepping into a church and saying, what is this church offering me? What am I really going to get out of this? And com coming in with your critique checklist of, do they have this, this, this? Uh, that's not meeting my needs. That's not so it's a consumer mentality versus one that you're going to come in and give in a servant mentality. Um, so community. So your identity is important, but you've got to have the community to live it out in. And then community, that's not enough because then all you've got is just this holy huddle of Christians. You're not engaging in God's mission, right? So then you've got mission. So identity, community is to be lived out in the context of a greater mission um, of what you're trying to join in God and his mission. So here's a great verse for that. It's Philippians 2, 14 through 15. It says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So think about that. As you're growing and being rooted in your identity and living that out in a community, loving one another, what is the result? It says you shine as lights in the world. You're, you have this community that is so countercultural. The way they love each other, the way they serve each other, the way they consider each other's needs above their own is shining as a light and it's attractive. So how many of you were attracted by the body of Christ 
And that was one of the things that brought you to him. Uh, yeah. Think about how much that's helped you out in your own life now and how much that is needed uh, when you graduate. What's your plan uh, to engage in the mission with your community? What will that look like? One more verse. We'll close it out here. It says, um, Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. So going off this idea of a light. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house, all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So identity, community, mission, three areas for you to consider. What are your non-negotiables, your convictions for those areas of your life when you graduate? What is your plan what are you going to do uh, with your life regardless of what occupation you take? You need to have those three components in there and have a clear plan to, to step into those things. So where will you find them? Uh, and it's exciting. You're not just graduating, finding a job. You're being sent out into the world to be a light, um, to serve God with all the gifts and skills that you've acquired on the college campus and to do it to his glory in a new location with a new community. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it does give us direction uh, that you're you're a sovereign God who's in control who's working all things for the good and we can we can trust you because of that we can step out and take risks for your name so God I pray for this group of seniors here or this group of students here as they uh, move towards graduation God that you would use their lives for for big things for your glory as they seek you that they be rooted in their identity and community and mission pray this in Christ's name amen Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.